0: as we hear a reading from mark chapter 5 they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the gerasenes and when he'd stepped out of the boat immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him he lived among the tombs no one could restrain him anymore even with a chain for he had often been restrained with shackles and chains but The chains he wrenched apart and the shackles he broke in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him and he shouted at the top of his voice, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding. And the unclean spirits begged him, Send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swineherds ran off and told it in the city and in the country, and then people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to see Jesus and saw the demoniac standing there, clothed. And in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. And then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, the man who'd been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Word of God. Word of life. Thanks be to God. There's a lot of sermons in this text. I'm only going to preach one. And there's a lot going on there, right? It's a weird story. If I asked you, what is Jesus known for doing? Like, what's Jesus known for being? We'd have a lot of different answers, I think, in just this one room, yeah? We'd probably be able to come up with lots of titles for how we might describe Jesus. Messiah, Christ, Savior, Lord. John talks about him as word made flesh, Jesus himself in the Gospel of John refers to himself in lots of different ways. Bread of life, good shepherd, the vine, the gate. But beyond titles and metaphors, what might you say about what he did? The shorthand version would be, well, he lived, died, was resurrected, and ascended. That's kind of the in-a-nutshell version. But during the lived part, what did he do? We don't know much at all about his first 28 or so years. Was he helping his father as a carpenter or something like that? Did he just hang out at the temple all the time? Who knows? But we do know from the Gospels what Jesus does once he is baptized and is identified as God's beloved. Mostly he is a teacher. We hear him called rabbi from time to time. The other thing we hear a lot about Jesus is that he is a healer. Right? If we lived 2,000 years ago in what is now the Holy Land, if we heard the name of Jesus, we'd probably have heard rumors about his teachings, and with what authority he seems to speak, and we'd have heard about his healings. Like Peter's mother-in-law had a fever, Jesus lifted it. He makes the blind to see, he makes the paralyzed to walk. The headlines kind of write themselves, and word would have spread. I mean, imagine a world where there really is no science as we would know it, no medicine like we would know it, just a lot of guessing, some coincidence maybe. Anyone who gets a reputation for healing will become very famous very fast. So now imagine being sick in this world, but not the kind of sick where you have a fever that won't go away or a growth that hurts. Imagine being unwell, but it's not a broken bone or a disabled limb that ails you. It's something that comes from deeper than your bones. You're an unwell person in 2024. Maybe we diagnose it or label it. Maybe it would be depression or schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. But no matter what we call it or whatever they called it then, Imagine having an affliction like that 2,000 years ago. Our imaginations may be able to start scraping at the surface of how hopeless or helpless we might feel, but what we can't really imagine is how the community around us reacted to such ailments. As ill-equipped and not great as many of us are at handling these kinds of ailments, it was way worse then. Depending on the severity of one's condition, one might not be allowed to come to public places. So a place like the temple, which would be a lot like forcing solitary confinement on somebody. You wouldn't be welcome in so many places, actually. Marriage and family certainly aren't going to happen for you. That's not an option. Meaningful work is probably not possible either but it could actually be even way worse than all that it could mean you get physically ostracized from the community altogether maybe they don't even let you come into town they of course are your own parents your own family people you've grown up with whose fear of you has grown more and more and more as you've aged you might even scare yourself to some degree and in some circumstances You'd be left to simply hurt yourself. Such an existence sounds pretty desperate to me, and it's this kind of situation that Mark writes about in this text I just read. We meet this man who lives in the tombs. I mean, what a <laughs> what a description, right? He can't be restrained anymore, even with chains. He'd been restrained that way for some time, apparently, but his, in his illness, he'd broken the shackles in pieces and this is an important phrase, no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. He's like an animal. Only way worse. Because it's likely that he would have had lots of moments of being lucid. Most people who live with such challenges have good days and bad days. How would it feel to find yourself on a good day living among the tombs, among the dead, knowing that everybody who sees you or who has ever seen you wishes you would just join those dead rather than going on living in such torment, broken and bruised, inside and on the outside. This man is literally and figuratively beyond the reach Of that day's compassion, that day's medical understanding, he's beyond what this world is willing to or able to cope with. Why would Mark, in telling his gospel, tell us about such an extreme case? Like most of us reading or listening to this text are just not this bad off. Why not share case studies of healing the guy with a sore back, where His back is straightened out and, oh, Jesus is Lord. Some of us might like that one, right? Or why not tell us about the lady with a cold or a sinus infection that just won't go away. Uh, Tell us about the day she fed Jesus with bread and hummus and he responded by saying, your faith has made your sinuses clear. Sometimes I wish that would happen. It's good to breathe. Instead of sharing stories like those, which maybe they just didn't happen, But for sure, Mark isn't just a reporter, reporting each and every act of healing that Jesus does. Mark tells this particular story for a very particular reason. This is not just good news for people who suffer with behavioral issues. In telling this extreme story, Mark's trying to have us understand that the good news of Jesus is more amazing, more extreme than we could ever possibly hope for. Like, you want to throw that cold? This Jesus can defeat death. <laughs> Mark's trying to give us permission to hope beyond our wildest dreams of hope. To so believe in a person who is God, a God who is willing and able to make right all that is wrong. Not just the little stuff, not just the extreme stuff, all the stuff. No little stories about curing a cut on your finger will do. This Jesus has come to bridge the chasm between us and the eternal good who loves us more than we can know. And to give that kind of permission to hope, that kind of extreme good news, to tell the story of God become human for the sake of all humans, Mark tells the story of a man who'd been cast out of his community to live in the tombs where he hurts himself with stones where he's desperate beyond measure, existing in a way worse than death. And notice too, this guy, he's a Gentile. Jesus comes to the other side of the sea, Mark says, to the country of the Gerasenes. The big clue that they're not Jewish like Jesus is that they have this big herd of swine, which are forbidden by Jewish law. So we are to understand that Jesus goes out of his way By a lot. This is not just like the next town over. goes out of his way by a lot to encounter this one desperate soul. And when Jesus is seen from a distance, we learn something else very important about this guy's condition. And I think most of us already know this about people who suffer with behavioral issues, but not everybody does, even in 2024. 2,000 years ago, it was definitely... Commonly held knowledge. We learn in these next couple of lines that this illness he suffers with, it speaks for itself. It is a force of its own. This guy doesn't choose to hurt himself, to howl in the night, to scare everybody. This story assumes a truth that there are some forces, some ailments that are beyond our choosing. Some sins are chosen, of course, and we can repent and seek forgiveness, but some forms of brokenness are not. They're not chosen. As one seminary professor taught me, he said, perhaps the deepest theological truth you need to remember as you love your people, as you love your God, is to remember stuff happens. Not every bad thing is done maliciously by an evil agent with malicious intent, Not every bad thing that happens is chosen by someone. And this guy in the tombs, he is suffering from stuff that just happened to him. And we've all made bad choices, but we also all know about some stuff that has just happened to us or to people we care about. What's some of the unchosen stuff you contend with? Undoubtedly... You sometimes blame yourself yourself for stuff you didn't choose. We all do that. I wonder if this man from the tombs blamed himself. Probably, I would have, to some extent. The way Mark tells it, though, doesn't really matter. Because you may have noticed in the reading, Jesus, his mercy... He doesn't ask the man to recount, how did these behaviors start? Jesus doesn't explore to see whether this man qualifies for Jesus' kind of mercy and healing. There is no, well, what are you going to do once you're healed? Jesus doesn't exclude him because his community did. That he's not Jewish doesn't matter to Jesus. Jesus just walks up to this desperate, hopeless guy and says, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And that spirit does. That he sends this legion into pigs that then go over a cliff. That's like I said before, it's a sermon for another day. But for today, hear that good news. This God we worship is willing and able and has a track record of going out of his way to encounter the most extreme cases of desperation, all to simply restore such a person to wholeness, even all the way to the cross. such a person as you and that person you're thinking about right now, who you love so much. Amidst all the stuff you or they didn't choose, amidst the circumstances you or they couldn't control, Jesus is the one who chooses to look into our deepest pain and suffering, even unto death and beyond, and release us. Jesus seeks to free us from all the stuff. And there's one more little nugget about this text. It not only proclaims what Jesus does in the face of desperation, it also challenges us to ask ourselves, what would I do with the kind of freedom Jesus gifts? The demoniac, of course, went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. That's the equivalent of like, running down to Riverside Park into that new shell, new-ish shell that they have, and just starting to tell everybody uh, what had happened. He proclaimed how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone who heard was amazed. What would you do? with that kind of freedom from that level of desperation, with a fresh life, a new future, What if you realized you received such newness tonight? That is how we are meant to receive the real presence of Jesus that we celebrate in Holy Communion. That it is meant to be a a sure sign of God's kind of mercy and healing that would simply and truly move us to be free. Thanks be to God. Amen.